Hi, welcome to the Fast Life with Diabetes podcast. My name is Lucy Fisher. On this podcast, we'll discuss everything related to intermittent fasting and type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We'll share tips and tricks and we'll reveal some of the challenges that we've all faced as we go through this journey. We'll also have some fascinating guests that will share their stories. Thanks so much for joining. It's going to be a great show. Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. I'd like to use this episode to speak a little bit about medications and settings if you're using an insulin pump and adjustments that you may need to make if you are going to begin an intermittent fasting journey. Similarly, if you're already an intermittent faster and you've noticed that you're seeing a lot of low blood sugars or your blood sugars are just not where you want them to be, this episode will help you to understand why that may be the case. And before I get started, I just want to remind everyone that this is my own personal experience. If you are thinking about making changes to your medications, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor before doing so. So just as a preface here, Anytime you gain weight, lose weight, there's changes to your body, you will experience changes in insulin needs. For me, when I lose weight, I need less insulin, and I think that's probably true for most of us. Anytime I've done Weight Watchers or any of the other diets that I've been on that I described in a prior episode, my insulin needs have always gone down. And I can't necessarily quantify that every single time is going to be the same, and in fact, I think my insulin needs with intermittent fasting have gone down a lot more than they went down with other diets that I may have tried. So it's something to keep in mind as you're going through this journey. For me, as a type 1 diabetic, I find it to be pretty frustrating at times when I'm dieting or changing the way I eat or, or something like that. And I have I end up having a lot of low blood sugars when that happens because a lot of times my changing of my settings is not keeping up with the changes in my body and I end up with too much insulin in floating around my system and I end up with low blood sugars. This can feel like two steps forward, one step back and I feel like that happens quite a bit every time I start a new diet, protocol, lifestyle, whatever you want to call it. So when I started intermittent fasting in late July, early August, 2021, I was doing 16, eight. So I was fasting for 16 hours and eating for eight hours. And I think my eating window was 12 PM to 8 PM. And I knew from past experience that I would have to cut back on my insulin when I did this. So I think I cut it back by about 20% when I started and actually 20% probably was not enough because I did end up with quite a few low blood sugars when I started. And just to give you a little bit of a preview of what happened over time, so my basal insulin prior to beginning intermittent fasting was 18 units per day. About two months into intermittent fasting, and mind you, I had tightened up my eating window, so about two months in, I was already starting to do the one meal a day lifestyle where my eating window was essentially open for maybe two, two and a half hours. So that may play a part in it as well. You'll always have to be tweaking your insulin as you tweak your protocol with intermittent fasting. So about two months in, I was doing one meal a day and my basal insulin needs went from 18 units prior to intermittent fasting to 11 units. So that's a decrease of almost 40% during that time period. 
And now I'm still doing the one meal a day, but I'm about six months in now. And now I need only seven units of basal insulin. So that's 18 units to begin with, all the way down to seven units, which is about a decrease of 60% over time. And oddly enough, even though I'm at my set weight and I'm in maintenance and I try to maintain between 93 and 97 pounds, I still notice that my basal insulin needs are going down. So I don't know where it's gonna end and I don't know if at some point it's gonna to start to go back up again once my body adjusts to being in this weight range. I'm not 100% sure. But I just wanted to tell you that so you could see how much less insulin I need now that I'm doing intermittent fasting. And I want to tell you this because I don't want you to be surprised by how much less insulin you'll be using. And I think it's probably pretty normal among people that do intermittent fasting. And then the other two inputs, whether you're on MDI or if you're on a pump, everybody has the same inputs. One is insulin sensitivity factor. So prior to beginning intermittent fasting, I would take one unit of insulin to bring my blood sugar down by 48 points. And now I use one unit to bring my blood sugar down by 56 points. So my insulin sensitivity has increased greatly ever since beginning intermittent fasting. And the other thing too, which sort of took me by surprise, is my insulin to carb ratio has changed. So I used to be one unit to every eight carbs, and now I'm one unit for every 10 carbs. So as you can see, the insulin sensitivity and the insulin to carb ratio has greatly changed over the time period that I've done intermittent fasting. And then just for an overall effect, I used to take around 40 units of insulin daily. And just as a reminder, I use Fiasp, the fast acting insulin in my insulin pump. And I used to take 40 units of that a day, per day. And that includes the basal and any boluses I was doing prior to intermittent fasting. And now most days I'm below 20 and usually at 15 or 16 units of insulin per day. So as you can see, my insulin needs have gone down dramatically doing intermittent fasting. And it's funny, I have an Omnipod insulin pump and I used to, you know, always fill my pump up to 150 units because I always wanted to have a little extra in there. This is prior to intermittent fasting, just so I never ran out and I could let it run beyond so that I could do the three days and eight hours so I'd get the full use of my pump. And now my insulin needs are so much lower that I probably only fill it to 80 or 100 units now. So that's, that's another benefit of intermittent fasting. One of the things I wanted to speak to you about is if you haven't started intermittent fasting yet, or if you have, and you're still struggling with getting your blood sugars under control, the number one culprit for that is probably your basal rate. Prior to intermittent fasting, I did not do very much in the way of basal rate testing. For whatever reason, basal rate testing does require you to fast. And at the point when I had started intermittent fasting, I really didn't have very much experience with fasting. And I would try a basal rate test on, on occasion, but it requires you to eat a low carb meal and then wait, I can't remember if it's two or four hours after you eat that meal in order to start your test. And then you can't really have a lot of exercise right before or during when you do your test. So it requires you to essentially strip out all of the factors that would affect your blood sugar aside from your insulin. And I just never had the time or the inclination to do it. So I would say that my basal rates were pretty messy before I started intermittent fasting. That was really 
to my detriment. If I had it to do over again, I would have absolutely tested my basal rates and made sure that they were correct before starting. Because when I first started intermittent fasting, I had a lot of really messy blood sugars, a lot of lows, a lot of highs, a lot of roller coastering that I think could have been largely avoided by basal rate testing. And it's one of those things where if you have a bad blood sugar and you're supposed to be in your fasting phase, it really annoys you because the last thing you want to do is eat, but unfortunately you have no choice because you have a low and you've got to correct it. So you feel very defeated when that happens and I'd hate for that to happen to you. So I would highly recommend that you do basal rate testing before starting your intermittent fasting protocol. And by doing that, it also gives you a little practice in intermittent fasting because basal rate testing usually requires around eight hours of fasting. So if you can do eight hours, chances are you can do 10 or 12 or 14 hours, however you wanna start your intermittent fasting protocol. So that's another reason to do basal rate testing. If you're an experienced intermittent faster and you're still experiencing a lot of messy blood sugars, make sure your basal rate is right. I am constantly testing my basal rates now, now that I've gotten in the habit of doing it because I do still notice that my blood sugars can be unruly, especially if my insulin needs are going down and I, I'm not catching the changes in basal rate, I'll end up with a lot of lows. And similarly, if I end up with lows and then I treat them, and my insulin sensitivity factors also not in the right spot, then I could end up giving myself too much insulin to correct. If Once I correct a low blood sugar, maybe it goes a little high and then the insulin sensitivity kicks in and gives too much and then I end up low again. So I could end up inadvertently ending up on the roller coaster even if I'm really trying not to eat and not to impact my blood sugar with food. So just keep all those things in mind as you are, are going through your journey so that you can avoid some frustration along the way. The other thing I wanted to address in this podcast is low blood sugars. No matter what, at some point during your fast, you will end up with a low blood sugar. It's just a fact of life. A lot of uh, experienced intermittent fasters, you may be listening to podcasts with intermittent fasters, people that do not have diabetes and or they don't take medications that may lower their blood sugar. So they don't really have a concept of what happens when you get a low blood sugar when you're fasting. Unfortunately for us as diabetics, we all are very familiar with the feeling of a low blood sugar. I recommend that if you can get onto a Dexcom or a Libre or something like that where you can be testing your blood sugar very frequently and you can understand how your blood sugar is trending, that you do that. Because it depends on, if I get a low blood sugar, let's say hypothetically, I've eaten lunch and I close my eating window at 12.30 and then an hour and a half later I end up with a nasty low. Let's say I'm at like 50 and let's say I have a bunch of insulin on board. I'm definitely going to treat that low. I'm not going to let that ride. I'm not going to try to stick it out. I'm definitely going to treat that low. However, if I've closed my eating window at 12.30, same scenario, and let's say it's 7 o'clock at night and I end up with a low blood sugar, maybe in like 65 or 70, and there's no insulin on board, and I didn't just exercise, I don't have any other factors that would cause me to be low aside from just too much insulin, too much basal insulin going on, or too much correction factor going on, I probably will not eat. If you're on a pump and you can dial back your basal rate to put it on some temp setting to like 80% power or 70% power and a higher blood sugar target, do that. Give that a shot first and see if you can come up within the next 30 minutes. If you can't, then eat something. 
but nine times out of 10 for me, if I'm in that range and I just kind of let it ride and I try to dial back the insulin a little bit, I can get out of the situation without eating. If I can't get out of the situation without eating, whether it's I've closed my window after lunch or I have a, a stubborn low blood sugar that, that I can't bring up, or if you're on MDI and your long acting is the cause of the low blood sugar, and there's really nothing you can do about it except for eat something, then eat something. Don't stand on ceremony trying to preserve your fast. It's just, it's you're gonna aggravate yourself. You're gonna feel crappy the whole time you're doing it. Just eat a little something and get your blood sugar back into the normal range. The one thing I will say though, is if you end up low and you treat your low, only treat the low, don't go above and beyond that. And sometimes I have to fight that tendency myself where I get low, especially if it's a really bad low, I'll just eat everything in sight to bring it back up and then I'll deal with the fallout later. Try to just treat the low. So that may mean you eat a little piece of candy and then you wait for 10 or 15 minutes to see if that does anything and just try to be methodical about it. The worst thing you can do is treat a low with too much food and then end up having to give yourself insulin and then potentially get back onto the roller coaster and going up and down, up and down until you can get the impact of that food and that insulin out of your system again. You wanna be as delicate as possible when you're treating your low so that you don't get back on the roller coaster. And for me, a lot of the times that means like if it's one of those lows that I said, I talk about at 7 p.m. or something like that, where there's no insulin in my system, there's no food in my system, and I technically really shouldn't be going low, but let's say it's a stubborn low and I really just had too much basil going on. I'll learn from that. Next day, I'll, I'll bring my basil down for that time period if there's something that nothing else is out of the ordinary. It's truly just a basil situation. A lot of times I might treat that low, that's purely a basil low, with maybe a quarter of a piece of bread or a half of a piece of bread, something that's not such a, a strong, uh, a strong sugar so that it kind of brings it up slowly. And then if necessary, if it goes a little too high, the correction factor can kick in, but it's not going to slam my blood sugar down. That's generally my advice for treating lows. The other thing too is let's say hypothetically you get a low and you will, it's just how it's going to go. Unfortunately, I wish that were not the case, but that's, that's what we're dealing with here is type ones. And if you're type two and you're on a medication that causes you to go low, you'll experience the same thing treat the low blood sugar, and then move on with your fast as if it never happened. Don't use that as an opportunity to say, oh, well, you know, my fast is over because I screwed up and I got a low blood sugar and I'll just try again tomorrow. Don't do that. Correct the low with as few carbs as possible and then continue on fasting. Do not get upset. Do not think your fast is over. Your fast can continue. In fact, I would say that at least two or three times a week, I end up in the situation and if I had just said, you know what, forget it, I'm this blow off the fast for the day and I'll try again tomorrow, there's no way that I would be able to keep to it because it would just be too, too inconsistent. So the key is have a little bit of patience with yourself and if you go low, treat the low with as few carbs as possible and then move on like it didn't happen. And yes, technically you are still intermittent fasting. I know that a lot of diehard intermittent fasters would technically say that you're not fasting because you had to eat something. But unfortunately, this is the, the body that we're living in and this is the life that we have. So we have to do it our way. And our way means that sometimes we have to eat something during our fast, but it does not mean that we can't fast and that we can't enjoy all the benefits of intermittent fasting. I think it's a great tool to manage your blood sugars. I think, 
the key thing to remember with intermittent fasting and the reason I love it so much for diabetes is that yes, you're still going to ride the roller coaster when you intermittent fast, but instead of riding the roller coaster that you see at six flags where it's up, down, up, down, up, down, you know, 340, 340 all day long. And sometimes even into the next day, this is prior to IF. Now I ride like the kitty roller coaster where I might go up to like 220, 250 or something after a meal if I've totally missed on my bolus. But then I'll gently come down and then I'm gonna stay down because all my other settings are right and I'm not gonna be bouncing around on the roller coaster again. I've taken food out of the equation for the rest of the day, out of the equation for overnight. So technically, when you're intermittent fasting and you're able to actually fast and not be introducing food into your system, you really should be in range a lot more often than you're out of range because the impact of food is out of the day for, for much of the time. So that's something to think about. And we'll talk a little bit more about some other factors that you have to consider when you're fasting. One of the things that I struggled with quite a bit at the beginning, and candidly, I still struggle with somewhat to this day, and I'm always tweaking and I'm always trying different things out, is exercising while fasting. And I'll save that for another episode but I hope this episode has helped you understand how important it is to get your settings right before you start intermittent fasting. And if you're already intermittent fasting, getting them right now so that you can avoid some of the nasty blood sugars that can happen. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at fastlifewithdiabetes at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.